episode 798. It's draft week, and the st- with the start just now three days away. Today's show, we have an interview with Dane Brugler of CBS Sports, but first I share my Baker's Dozen of Potential Packers. It's all coming up on Railbird Central next. <laughs> Packers fans, and welcome to Railbird Central at Cheesehead TV, the longest tenured Packers podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Brian Caravu, and today we're talking about the NFL draft. To do that, we'll have an interview with Dane Brugler of CBS Sports coming up at 9 o'clock a.m. Central Time. While we wait for Dane, I'm sharing my Baker's Dozen of potential Packers in the first round of the NFL draft. So that's what we're going to do for the first half hour of today's show. I'm going to take a deep dive into these prospects I've identified as potential Packers with the number 29 overall pick. Once again, this assumes the Packers just stay put. They don't trade up. They don't trade down, either of which there's probably a what, 10% chance of happening. So not entirely a long shot like 100 to 1, but not exactly like, oh, it's going to happen. There's going to be a trade. I think a lot of people think there's going to be a trade every year, but in likelihood, about a 10% chance. About once every decade, the Packers will either trade up or trade down, maybe slightly, maybe 15%. Uh, but I, I, I don't think it's it's any greater than that. But anyway, I've identified these 13 players. Like I said, I would be surprised if it's anyone but these 13. Now, you'll hear me list off these 13 names, and obviously some have a better chance of being the Packers pick. Some have a you know lesser chance of being the Packers pick, but I think when it comes down to it, it, it all depends on who's still on the board, who's available, and obviously this is my opinion. Uh, I can't get inside the mind of Ted Thompson or the Packers executives or scouts or coaches or anything like that, but here's who I think uh, has a chance to be a Green Bay Packer just three evenings from now. We'll start with the only two players I have on the offensive side of the football that have a chance of becoming a Green Bay Packer. And number one, uh, and not necessarily most likely, least likely, I'm just starting with offense than moving to defense. There's kind of no, you know, I don't think there's any greater likelihood just because I'm listing this player first. Uh, But the first player I'll talk about here is Forrest Lamp of Western Kentucky a left tackle at the University of Western Kentucky, part of Conference USA, that, uh, you know, a a team that won Conference USA and was really good in that group of five type of football this past year, played left tackle, projects as a guard at the next level, and I really think, you know, among any player that could be a guard, he's got the highest ceiling of almost any player. And I think he has a fairly high floor as well. 
uh, just tested out really well at the NFL Combine. And then you see it when you throw on the film and you watch him, even against the best teams that he played against. Uh, again, you know, Western Kentucky played Alabama in the non-conference schedule, and Forrest Lamp did not look out of place. Perhaps struggled a little bit, uh, but I mean, you're talking about Alabama, the number one team in the nation, and you're talking about Forrest Lamp at left tackle where he's more out on an island, he's going to be even more comfortable if he has to kick into guard. Um, so I think there's an, a chance of that happening. The only other player, offensive player, I think has a chance of, of potentially becoming a Green Bay Packer, Wisconsin offensive line lineman Ryan Ramchek, the Badgers' left tackle, in 2016, the only season he played for the Wisconsin Badgers. He actually was with them in 2015, but he redshirted. And if we go back through Ryan Ramchick's, you know, backstory, I think maybe people have heard, oh yeah, he started his career at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point. But do you really know the story in depth? Ryan Ramchick, I think... There's a greater chance that he succeeds with the Green Bay Packers than almost any other team in the entire NFL. And that's what could make him attractive to the Green Bay Packers because Ryan Ramchick is really a quiet guy, a homebody, uh, an outdoorsy type of guy who likes his hunting and fishing. But if we, again, go to his backstory... Before the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, coming out of high school, he grew up in Stevens Point, um, uh, he, the only offer he received from a major college was the University of Pittsburgh. And, and probably the only reason he got that is because at the time, the university head coach at Pittsburgh was Paul Christ. Now the University of Wisconsin's head coach but back then, Christ had, you know, still had connections in Wisconsin, knew Ramchick probably a little bit better than any other coach in the nation, and saw the potential in him. Uh, Ramchick didn't want to, you know, imagine this. Ryan Ramchick didn't want to stray that far from home, even though he got a Division One scholarship offer in football. I mean, really, who turns that down? Very few football players. We're talking a minute percentage. He's got the full ride, scholarship paid, doesn't want to go. Instead goes, uh, I believe he enrolls at the University of Wino Minnesota Winona, if I'm correct. Um, a Division II school It gives it a, a chance like a week or two and quits um, and, and totally gives up football for his first year out of high school, just just out of football completely, uh, after you know some soul searching in a little bit, wants to stay yet even closer to home in his hometown. So he enrolls at the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point and dominates for two years at Division Three football. And I think you know the light bulb kind of went on in that you know I can be a really good football player. So I'm going to jump up to Division One now. Paul Christ is back at the University of Wisconsin. Uh, he'll take me on. And so Ryan Ramchick jumps up from Stevens Point Division Three to Wisconsin Division One, still staying in state. Again, 
a guy who wants doesn't want to stay far from home, so he stays in state. And, you know, redshirts that one year and becomes a really, really good player for, you know, the Badgers. I think everybody really kind of watched when the Badgers were in week one in that, you know, highly publicized, nationally televised game against LSU at Lambeau Field. Uh, people saw, wow, uh, who is this guy who's playing left tackle for the Badgers, who have produced many very good left tackles, by the way, and he's holding his own, uh, not even holding his own. He's he's playing really good against, you know, one of the best colleges in the nation that produces some of the best NFL talent in the nation in LSU. Uh, so, so, I mean, that's how Ryan Ramchick's rise came to be. But again, just just kind of this common theme of him not wanting to be far from home. He could fit in with the Green Bay Packers seamlessly in terms of this is the lifestyle that he wants to live. He would really enjoy being living in a town of, you know, less than a, uh, you know, what it's right about 100,000 people, right? I mean, it's 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 a small town, especially you know compared to other NFL markets out there, where he can do his hunting and fishing, and he's not bothered by the big city lifestyle. That's not really his type of thing, you know. He he would just mesh with Green Bay better, far better than anywhere else in the NFL. And I, I, I think that's perhaps maybe some teams may shy just away from him because of that, because he's not going to want to go out to Los Angeles and live a, a, maybe he's matured to the point, I think where he does accept that now, but I just think he, he would be more comfortable and be because he's more comfortable in general would be a better player with the green Bay Packers than anywhere else. And if he were to get to number 29, I think they'd have to consider him. And personally, I do think that Ryan Ramchick could play play guard. Uh, obviously, I think with the Packers, you know, kind of already having David Bakhtiari and Brian Balaga and Jason Spriggs, you know, why I would move Ramchick to guard right away, get him comfortable there. Obviously have him, you know, try to cross train him if necessary down the road to play tackle but really have him focus on guard right away and have him compete. So there you go. Getting to now the defensive players who I think the Packers uh, have a chance of drafting and, and, and might be there and might be the player. Uh, basically, a, a trio here of outside linebackers slash defensive ends, I guess you could say. Um, but in the Packers 3-4 defense, they call them outside linebackers, really. Uh, and starting with T.J. Watt, the other Wisconsin player. I, I've talked so much about T.J. Watt on this show previously. I'm not going to spend too much time on him here. But I just think T.J. Watt is the ideal 3-4 outside linebacker because he he plays in that two-point stance. He's comfortable on both sides of the field, the right and the left. He can rush. He can defend the run. And he can drop into coverage. He's that ideal 3-4 um, uh, outside linebacker. I'm big on bloodlines. We all know his brothers, J.J. Watt. And I just think their development mirrors each other so good. I, I know T.J. is not J.J. size-wise. But that's fine. I, I don't care uh, You know that he's not going to be J.J. size-wise. 
that that's good because TJ is better adept to drop back in coverage than probably JJ is and and fill that edge defender kind of role that he can do that. Maybe you don't want him doing that a ton, but he can do that. Um, and, and that's fine. I, I mean, not every player in the NFL has to be J.J. Watt's size to succeed. They don't. Uh, I just think T.J. Watt is ideal for what the Packers do in Dom Capers' defense. If there's two more outside linebackers, uh, the Packers, I think, consider one of them, Charles Harris from Missouri, um, who is not T.J. Watt, or is not that ideal outside linebacker that drops back in coverage. Charles Harris is more, uh, if I had to compare him to someone, I I would say he's more Mike Neal, uh, if you remember the former Green Bay Packer now uh, of two years ago. Uh, But Mike Neal was with them for quite a while. Uh, Or, I mean, to a lesser extent, uh, Dayton Jones slash Julius Peppers in that these guys were not asked to drop in coverage a lot. Yeah, maybe occasionally they were, but they they were far more likely to play defensive end and then kick inside on passing downs and almost be a little bit more of an interior pass rusher. Charles Harris is more like that, but what I really do like about him is his ability to get get off the ball quickly off the snap. He's got a really quick first step, uh, kind of like Mike Daniels to an extent when he rushes the passer. Uh, Again, I think there's some big differences there. You know, Charles Harris is not a, uh, you know, won't line up over the, 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 you know, the, the one technique like Mike Daniels can. Um, more likely, you know, Charles Harris is lining up on defensive end, can kick inside occasionally, just not on a full-time basis like of Mike Daniels or things like that. But that quick first step he's got makes him a real threat, and, and that's what I really like about him. There's some athletic ability there. Um, and then finally, the other outside linebacker I think the Packers might consider, Tak McKinley, Takaris McKinley of UCLA. Packers have a history of drafting players from UCLA, from Dayton Jones to Jonathan Franklin to Brett Hundley. Uh, not that I necessarily think that is a huge influence there. Uh, uh, just because they did it in the past doesn't make it any more, more likely or less likely that they'll do it in the future. But there is that. Um, I, I soured a little bit on Todd McKinley. Uh, in that he's got the torn labrum. I don't like that. Not that it's huge. I think you can get over that. Uh, But also he tested a little bit worse than I think people expected out of him at the combine because I think they just expected him to be this this elite athlete and and like T.J. Watt tested a little bit better. The difference wasn't huge by any means. I would just put T.J. Watt ahead of Tuck McKinley if they were both available. You're both there. You're considering the two of them. I take Watt above McKinley. Others may have, you know, be the opposite, and that's understandable. I respect anyone's decision who thinks that. Um, But uh, I think the Packers consider him. Uh, I do think he is a good athlete. Uh, you know, certainly uh, in respect to all the guys we're talking about underneath the second, the third rounders, I put Tuck McKinley above them. Um, I, I just have him behind TJ Watt is basically all I'm saying is kind of that ideal three, four outside linebacker. 
um, who can get speed off the edge for you. Uh, so those are kind of the edge defenders, I think, the Packers. I got the Packers, and this might seem like a big number here, and 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 I've I've got the Packers considering three inside linebackers here. One of them, and I think this is probably the most likely scenario of every of the thirteen players I'm I'm in the process of listing here. Hassan Reddick of Temple, the inside linebacker. I the only reason I'm naming him is because for whatever reason. I think if he were to fall to the Packers at 29, and I don't think he will, but if he were, I think the Packers take him in a heartbeat. Uh, the athlete that he is, the the difference that I think he can make, the the athleticism they've lacked at the position for all these years. If for whatever reason he were to fall to 29, um, and, and it's not like uh, he, he was. Uh, uh, arrested between now and the next three days. And, and maybe if that happens, uh, he continues to fall. Anyway, I don't expect that. I'm just throwing out some oddball reason he could fall here. Um, but yeah, I, I think the Packers would take him. The, uh, the other one that I'm more conflicted about than anybody else here uh, of the 13, I'm in the process of listening, Reuben Foster of Alabama. I am at the point where I have no idea what to make of Reuben Foster because he is so good. Um, just, you know, football player-wise, you know, you watch the film, you look at his athleticism, or, I mean, because he didn't really test at the combine, um, and, and so you do have to project a little bit, but when you watch him, you know, he he's an elite athlete. He played really well on a very good Alabama team. I, you don't have to worry about him on Sundays. He's going to be out there. He's going to do his job. He's going to be a leader of the defense on Sundays. You worry about everything else. You, you worry that he was kicked out of the combine for getting into some fight with a hospital worker, apparently. You worry about that he already failed a drug test at the NFL combine that he admitted to in an interview. And thus, you know, he's in strike one of the NFL substance abuse program in that every player in the NFL gets one strike without being suspended. But now if he were to fail another drug test, now he's already going to be, you know, suspended for the four games. So, you know, everybody gets that first strike basically without penalty. The issue is that he's already that, that one step closer than basically everybody else to getting the suspension, and that is worrisome. Uh, on on top of that, there are some small uh, injury issues too. Um, so that that just everything adds up to like, wow, he's he's such a good player, but you really have these worries about investing that first round pick into him, just because you invest so much money, it can it can really backfire. It can hurt your team. From the salary cap standpoint, if it doesn't work out, things like, I mean, less than perhaps it used to years ago, but still, it just, from the team building issue as well, if you got to let go of them in four years, it can kind of throw your roster off. All those kind of complications make you worry about taking a guy like Ruben Foster. I, I still listing him here, still considering him, uh, but... 
uh, I'm more conflicted about him than almost any other player. And finally, uh, I do have the Packers considering inside linebacker Zach Cunningham of Vanderbilt. Uh, this one might be a little bit of a stretch for some, and I think a lot of people will point out, yeah, the, the Packers haven't considered an inside linebacker for years this high now. Why would they do it? You know, why would 10 Thompson start now to consider an inside linebacker in the first round after a decade plus of him not doing so? Uh, and, and I think, you know, one reason for that could be that maybe you saw in this offseason, the Packers started to give more responsibility uh, and started listening more to other executives other than Ted Thompson uh, in the front office, like Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith. Maybe it's them that are running the show. Maybe it's them who are more influential in bringing in Martellus Bennett and Lance Kendricks in the offseason and the other signings the Packers have when they typically aren't involved so much in free agency. And, and maybe this is kind of the way of phasing Ted Thompson out, and maybe that's why the Packers consider a guy like Zach Cunningham in the first round this year where they finally address it. They finally get more athletic at inside linebacker. They finally get a guy who can go sideline to sideline who's got really long arms, by the way, that I like a lot. Um, and yeah, so I think that's why they consider possibly, you know, maybe one of the guys who's a little less likely on this list, but still a p possibility potential for the Packers. And then after them, I've got five cornerbacks to round out this list of 13. Um, and, and just to list off all these cornerbacks at once, Marlon Humphrey, Tredavious White, Gary and Conley, Chidobia Wuzier, and uh, Kevin King of Washington to round things out. Um, I'm I'm highest on Kevin King, and I'm probably a li I, I think I'm higher on him than probably most draft analysts out there. I just see the height, the length at six three, long arms, and you don't see those kind of guys have elite measurables. Because they've got the long arms, the long limbs, it usually takes that just that little bit longer to get those limbs up to speed. But Kevin King had one of the best 40-yard dashes among defensive backs at the NFL draft. Despite being that long, he still had the elite athleticism. And it wasn't just the 40-yard dash. It was the short shuttle. It was the three-cone drill. He's the total package, I think, and I think he's worth the the ceiling is so high for him that I think it's it's Richard Sherman level uh, of that ceiling. Uh, I'm not saying he's there yet, but he could be that type of player. And I know maybe you know the Packers don't have this this tradition of of going after these long, tall corners like the Seattle Seahawks. But what's preventing them from doing so? You know, the Packers have been so mediocre on the defensive side of the football for so long. Why not do something a little bit different and, and get this long athletic corner? And I think he could have a really high ceiling. Um, a, a guy who really, I think, could end up being the Packers' first-round pick, Tredavious White of LSU. Uh, like I said, he's... He's. Uh, we talked about him in depth a few episodes ago on this on this episode, or not this episode, but at Railbird Central. Um, 
where Scott McKenna and I talked about him. You wish he was a little bit taller. You wish he was a little bit faster. But you know what you're getting with Tredavious White of LSU. He's got a higher floor than almost any other cornerback for sure. But, I mean, prospects in general, you know what you're going to get with him. He's going to be a solid LSU corner. There's been so many of them that have come into the NFL. He's going to be the next, and he's going to do a solid job. And he can do it not only on defense, but special teams as well. And I think that's really going to be uh, of of attractive to a team like the Packers that could use another punt returner to at least add to the group of options there. But he's a, he's a a gunner as well on the punt team, um, and and you, and he's going to be just a a solid cornerback. I think uh, you you're worried about him because. He he sandwiched around a solid 2014 and a solid 2016 season. He kind of had a poor 2015 season at LSU uh, in which he got beat a little bit more than you want. But I, th- I think the player that you should be looking at is the one who did play well in 2014, 2016. I, I think that's going to be the player you're going to see more often in the NFL uh, it, where he's just got that swagger to him that he was bred to be, born to be an NFL cornerback, and that's what he is. And 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 you're going to get that solid effort from him just knowing this is what I was meant to do, uh, and I'm going to come in and put that work in day in, day out uh, to, to be that kind of person and, and be as good of a cornerback as I can be. Maybe perhaps not a great you know, tackler and run support, but not a bad one by any means. Um, Marlon Humphrey of Alabama. Um, uh, I, I'm I'm less high on him than a lot of people in that I see a guy who might be more of a safety than a corner, but definitely has the high ceiling because of the athleticism. He ran the blazing 40 at the NFL track, you know, NFL combine. And I just think, you know, that the straight line speed is there. He he can, um, it, it, you know, have the speed to keep up with receivers down the field. The problem when the ball in the air, a lot of times he lose track of it. He kind of has that issue of you know looking over the shoulder. Where is the ball? Loses a step because of it, and then sometimes will get beat because of that. Uh, I don't like that, and that's maybe why I think he's more of a safety. If you keep things in front of him. Uh, but he could be a very good safety, a, a first-round safety in the NFL. Uh, the problem is the Packers don't exactly need that right now with Morgan Burnett and HaHa ha Clinton Dix, um, and he is really aggressive against the run, uh, and, and there's a really high ceiling there. Um, so I, I can understand why a team would take him in the first round. Gary and Conley of Ohio State, I'm a little bit lower on him than a lot of people. I've been hearing rumblings from people. I know Tony Pauline of DraftAnalyst.com among them saying uh, he likes him more than Marshawn Lattimore, his teammate at Ohio State. I guess I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how uh, the, the ceiling is so high on Gary and Conley. Uh, that as compared to at least like a Marshawn Lattimore, I think Conley is good. Him and Awuzier of Colorado, I think, are a lot alike in that they can both play inside, outside, 
and be that three down type of cornerback that that's always on the field that doesn't have to come off. Um, and, and they can both be that kind of player, but I just see, you know, Conley too many times didn't flash, or I think there were times where he did flash like, Oh, in the, uh, the national semifinal game against, uh, Clemson, uh, he had a pick six, but it was due to the Clemson wide receiver falling down uh, to, you know, no reason that Conley didn't do anything. The receiver just fell down and Conley, to his credit, took advantage. But like had the receiver not fallen down, you know, would that pick six have happened? I'm not so sure it would have. Um, and, and so I think he people are a little bit more higher when they see that kind of play than I am. Um, so I do have some questions there, but I certainly think that he can be that three-down type of, of cornerback that doesn't come off the field, and I think there's there's worth to that um, where you worry you know about a lot of guys who they're only only can play inside or only can play outside. Um, and that's not the kind of guy you want to invest a first round draft choice into, except Kevin King. Kevin King's an outside corner, but he's still a three down lot, uh, three down cornerback because he's still he's always going to play outside, but he's not going to come off the field either. Uh, and that's why I like him so much. So, so there you go. There is the thirteen players I think will be a Green Bay Packer by the end of Wednesday. Like I said, I would be surprised if it's not one of these 13. But I've pretty much prattled on here for about 30 minutes here, vamping more or less, while we get our first guest of the show on the line. And let me do that now. We're just going to take a brief break here. I'm going to get Dean Brugler of CBS on the phone, and we're going to come back for his interview. So stick with me for just a moment. We're back and joining us now at Railbird Central on a Monday morning is Dane Brugler of CBS Sports and NFLDraftScout.com. Dane, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Happy draft week. Yes, thank you. It's going to be an exciting one, and we've got a lot of draft topics to talk about. I wanted to kick things off here with Joe Mixon. His civil suit has recently been settled Dane, do you think that helps him? And what do you think is his ceiling for being drafted now that this has been settled? Well, yeah, there's no question it helps him. Uh, you know, the team that will be drafting Joe Mixon won't have a lawsuit pending uh, as part of the baggage that he brings to the NFL. Uh, you know, we know that what happened three years ago uh, on video, that's it's not going to go away. As soon as he's drafted, that's going to be blasted on social media and there's going to be an immediate backlash uh, from from some, uh, but the team that that drafts him, they, they won't have to worry about that pending lawsuit. It's something that Joe Mixon can move on from. And really, uh, in terms of the uh, you know legal matters of the case, uh, you know that's over now. The the case is completely done. Now it's just a matter of uh, the, the case and public opinion and how uh, the fan base reacts wherever Joe Mixon ends up. I think that. We're probably going to hear his name somewhere in the mid-second round. Um, I think there's an outside shot of him, you know, maybe sneaking in the late one, but I think a, a much better chance early mid-second round. Um, Cincinnati at 41, uh, Minnesota at 48. Those are the two teams that I would point to as the most likely. And I was at Joe Mixon's pro day, and there was only one general manager there, only one head coach. 
uh, Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer. Uh, so the Vikings, I think, have, have shown that they have interest, and uh, you know, we know they could use another running back. So Bengals uh, at 41, they've always shown they no problem taking chances on character guys. So I think those two teams are the ones to watch in the mid-second. All right, another guy with some question marks here. Uh, and I'm citing a report from your colleague, Rob Rang, who says Reuben Foster of Alabama could, quote, slide down draft boards uh, after admitting to failing a drug test. Uh, so, Dane, how far do you think he slides on draft day? It's hard to say because there's there is a lot going on. No one has had a worse pre-draft process uh, than Reuben Foster. Uh, when you factor in, you know, since Deshaun Watson threw that touchdown pass in the national title game, it's just been downhill. Uh, he didn't go to the senior bowl and then he had surgery on his rotator cuff, which, uh, you know, the medicals are a big, a big thing with him because he had uh, you know, concussions, stingers, uh, multiple uh, just minor nagging injuries at Alabama. And with his violent play style, the aggressive way he plays the game, you, you really have to wonder, can he really hold up? for a 16-game schedule uh, with the way he plays the game. You love the uh, the tenacity and the competitiveness that he plays with, but at the same time, you know, the, you have to think about body armor and just durability. Can he hold up doing that? Uh, that that's a big question mark with, with Foster, but then you also factor in uh, the failed drug test uh, at the combine, uh, the diluted sample. Uh, you factor in that he was sent home from the combine, something we've never seen before. It's unprecedented that He'd be sent home for discipline reasons, and then scouts all, all already had uh, you know questions about him off the field because he's a guy that really likes the party, and you know I, I get it, college kids like the party, but scouts worried that with Reuben Foster it's a little bit more, you know it kind of would would bleed over into the football field or you know into preparation, uh, you know because of what he was doing all the night before. So it, it's something that uh, you know scouts are, are talking about, and it really makes him a wild card. I could see him going. You know, mid first round, you know, a team kind of looking past all that and say, we'll trust the tape. But I could absolutely see him fall to the early second round because of the, of the questions and the issues teams have. Very interesting. Uh, Dane, I saw your article on Tyus Bowser of Houston last week. Uh, yourself speculating that he could be drafted as high as number 28 to Dallas, just one pick before the Green Bay Packers. How realistic is it that Bowser could be drafted in the first round? Well, I think it's very realistic. And, you know, every year we have that surprise name in the top 20, top 25. And I think this year Bowser could be that guy. Uh, you know, we know how much the NFL covets athleticism at the pass rush position. And that's exactly what Bowser offers. 6'3", 247 pounds, ran a 4.65, 40-yard dash, tested off the charts uh, in the explosion drills, change of direction drills. And when you watch him on tape, he lined up outside line at outside linebacker in Houston's three four base, and he just they didn't let him rush the passer on a full time basis. They'd drop him into space, uh, let him cover the flat, and it was really confounding why they would keep a Ferrari in the garage like that. But I think an NFL team they're looking at him. Okay, we're going to ask him to rush the passer uh, on a every snap basis, and I think they recognize just how good he can be once he is a full time edge threat. So. I'm not sure he's ready mentally to be an every down player, maybe more of a nickel rusher as a rookie, but as a, a full a long-term projection, uh, I think Bowser is going to end up somewhere in the first round. Speaking of edge defenders, TJ Watt receives a lot of attention here in the state of Wisconsin. Uh, obviously uh, how high do you think he could possibly be drafted? 
I think his status is somewhere in the in the mid to late first. Um, you know, I think you know, we talk about pass rush being king, and these pass rushers, just like quarterbacks, they're going to get pushed up a little bit. And so, you know, if Miles Garrett probably goes one, and then I think Derek Barnett, Charles Harris, probably the next two pass rushers off the board. And then, you know, I, I think T.J. Watts in that conversation to be the next one drafted, and that could be as early as the late teens, the early 20s. Um, I don't think he gets past Dallas at 28. Uh, they're looking for uh, that right end who can uh, be the pass rusher in Rod Marinelli's uh, scheme that they've been missing. So, you know, when you look at uh, T.J. Watt, you know, he's not as big as uh, his brother, but he's, he's still a good-sized athlete, 6'4 and a half, 252 pounds. Uh, you know, legit 4'6", 40-yard dash, uh, tested off the charts as well, just like Bowser did. So all those considered, uh, in fact, he had 11 and a half sacks last season. Uh, as long as the medicals, because he has a few knee issues uh, from the past, as long as the medicals are okay, T.J. Watt, I think, uh, best likely scenario off the board somewhere in the 20s. I wanted to get your thoughts on another Wisconsin player, Ryan Ramchick. Uh, the the lowest you think he could fall and whether you think he could potentially play guard in addition to tackle. Yeah, and I know some scouts are grading him as a guard. They think he's he'll be a better interior player uh, than a tackle. I To me, I think he's the best tackle in this class, and I think he's the best offensive lineman. Um, I think he's competing with Forrest Lamp to be the top offensive lineman this year, but it, it, really, it, opinions are split. Some like Garrett Bowles, the Utah tackle, a little better. Some like even Cam Robinson from Alabama. So there's no consensus on these uh, top offensive linemen this year. And really, with with Ramchek, you just look at the journey that he's taken to this point. It, it's fascinating, you know, being out of football and going D3 uh, only one season with uh, at least uh, as a starter for Wisconsin. But I tell you what, the, the tape that he put uh, that he produced, 14 starts at left tackle really really impressive and so that's why for me Ramchek's the top tackle this year could see him going uh you know as early as the teens 20 to Denver would make some sense but you also have to factor in that we haven't seen him pre-draft because of the hip injury the hip surgery he had in January how do the medicals come back and you know I, I feel like I've said medicals uh you know three four or five times already <laughs> but I think that that might be the story of the first round you know guys like John Ross and Ryan Ramchek and the medicals are going to uh, be a heavy factor in how the first round plays out, and Ramchak will be a perfect example of that. Uh, Dane, I, I really like your article published this past Friday. You showcased one potential undrafted free agent for each of the 128 teams in Division One college football or FBS. I, I think there's a ton of attention on first-round picks and very little on the players outside the first round, so mm -hmm. I think it's great to talk about these guys. One of the players you profiled is one of the 30 the Packers brought in for an official visit, Jonah Persig of Minnesota. Uh, you don't have to go in as deep as, as some of the other guys here, but just what do you think briefly of Jonah Persig? Well, he's a tall drink of water. He's 6'8", uh, 314 pounds. Uh, tested okay. You know, he was a 5'3 athlete, uh, 20 reps on the bench, 27-inch uh, vert. Uh, and he, he looks efficient in his kick slide. Uh, you know, he doesn't look out of place, but he's very lean. And he obviously a 6'8 player. He, he needs to show better knee bend to get lower, anchor, uh, not lose leverage. Uh, you know, it's too easy for rushers to get underneath him and, and kind of drive him backwards. So it uh, has some technique things to work on. But when you're talking from a, a size, strength, speed standpoint, uh, he definitely has some things to work on as a possible late rounder. And if not, then undrafted free agent. 
Finally and briefly, uh, Kofi Amicia of South Florida, another player the Packers brought in for an official visit and you profiled in your article. What do you think of his talent and the probability to play guard after playing tackle in college? It started every game at left tackle the past two seasons. Uh, and I think, you know, the tape was okay, but I think it's the pro day that is really going to get him uh, looks late as a possible draftable player. 6'4", 302 pounds. He was a sub 5-0, 40-yard uh, dash guy, 33-and-a-half-inch vert, uh, and then also 32 reps on the bench. And so I think he does project better inside as a guard with his measurables and just the skill set. Uh, but he also brings that position flex where he can kick outside the tackle in a pinch if needed. So I think regardless if he's drafted late or a priority free agent, I like his chances once he gets through, into a camp and he makes some noise uh, to possibly fit on a 53-man roster. Dane, thanks so much for going through all these players. Uh, how can our listeners find and buy your draft guide? Easiest way is just check out my Twitter, at DP Brugler. I have it pinned at the top. Uh, it's a link. It's an automatic PDF download. Uh, it's under 10 bucks. Uh, I promise you there's no more detail uh, or more information out there than all these players from uh, the first pick to uh, the last pick. So I appreciate everyone checking it out. We'll send our listeners there. Dane, thanks so much for talking to us. Uh, I think we've done this three straight years now. Greatly appreciate your time and enjoy the draft. Enjoy, Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Dane Brugler of CBS Sports slash NFL Draft Scout. He puts out his own draft guide, and I do think it's the best one out there. I, I think everybody says, oh, you're not going to find any more information out there. Uh, with Dane, I think he's the, the one person telling the truth because I think his is more in-depth, goes into more players deeper than any other guy. I think if you were to count the word count of every draft guide out there, I think his has the most, uh, at least of any I've seen. Uh, I know there's a bunch out there. I've read a bunch. I haven't seen everyone, but his is the best draft guide out there. In my opinion, I think it's worth the money. Uh, go get it, download it. You, you can put it on your tablet, on your laptop, on your even on your phone. Might be a little small for the phone, but you can do it. You, you move the phone lengthwise instead of up and down. You can read that. It, it, it's just a wealth of information. Go get it, folks. It's the best draft guide out there, and I was glad to have Dane on our show. Like I said, I think for three consecutive years he's come on here before the draft. Love having him on. And there you go. I hope you enjoyed today's episode in which uh, we had the Dean Brugler interview. I gave my Baker's dozen of players I think will be a Packer by the end of the day on Thursday. Uh, already coming up then on Wednesday. So the last episode before the draft, I'm going to give my annual and only mock draft for the Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go through all seven rounds, not every team's pick, but got who guys who I think will fit what the Packers do in each round of the NFL draft uh, and, and give you my one and only mock draft. There's so many, you know, draft analysts out there that come up with mock draft version 5.0. And I think when you start doing that, it, you're just listing off tons of potential, you know, possibilities. And yeah, you're going to get one right because you made about five or six or seven mock drafts. I'm only coming up with one, and it's the players I think that fit what the Packers do and that have the possibility of being there in each round um, and some of the players I like the best in the NFL draft. So 
releasing that on Wednesday's episode of Railbird Central. Hope you find that interesting. Last year, I was one of the few to get Kenny Clark of UCLA right, um, and uh, hopefully I can get a few more right again this year. So uh, we'll see what the Packers do, and excited to have that talk on Wednesday's episode. Railbird Central airs every Monday, Wednesday, Friday, typically at 8.30 a.m. Central Time. The live edition of the show podcasted and on demand later in the day. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Uh, thank you to Dane Brugler for being our guest. We'll see you in just a few more days. Uh, the NFL draft is almost here. We'll see you folks. Have a good day. We'll be back again later. I leave you today with a song called Rosie by String Cheese Incident on Psy Fidelity Records. See you later, everyone. Go Pack Go.